Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to this uh, webinar uh, hosted by Dickerson Insurance Services and uh, Kaiser Permanente. My name is David Fierce Sr. I'm uh, the managing partner of the Dickerson uh, office here in the Sacramento area, and I welcome all of you to this uh, presentation. Um, I'm going to uh, introduce uh, my, my key contacts with uh, Kaiser in a minute, but uh, let me just give you a, a bit of background about why we're doing this webinar. Over the last, um, over the last several months, we've had uh, some very productive discussions with Kaiser Permanente about uh, who they are and what they do and how they do it. And one of the topics that we wanted to address this year was the topic of the cost of pharmaceuticals, especially in, in, uh, in how systems like Kaiser, uh, who really exercise uh, a lot of uh, good cost containment tactics, are able to deal with the, the pharmaceutical industry and, and certainly uh, um, cut the best deal for their, their members as they can. And so uh, with that in mind, we, we asked Kaiser to come on board this morning and um, share with us uh, their secrets, their secret sauce about how they handle uh, big pharma and what they're doing. I'm going to uh, now introduce Sarah Bell, who is uh, one of the two Northern California representatives that we work with uh, here at Kaiser and, and let her introduce her team. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much, Dave. Um, you really have an exceptional team at Dickerson, and we really enjoyed working with you on these webinars, Joanna Capriola and I. Um, so thank you so much for hosting us. As Dave said, my name is Sarah Bell, one of the small group sales execs here in California, and I have the pleasure of introducing you to a few members of Kaiser's drug use management team. That is Dean Fredericks and Jennifer Cashman. She's having a little bit of technical difficulties, so hopefully she can join us soon. Um, but Dean is the Director of Drug Use Management for Kaiser Pharmacy in the NorCal region. Before that, that role, Dean held other roles in Kaiser Pharmacy, such as Director of Clinical Pharmacy, Outpatient Pharmacy Services Manager, Pharmacy Clinical Operations Manager, and Drug Education Coordinator. In his life before Kaiser, Dean worked for the University of the Pacific as an Education Coordinator. Dean completed a clinical pharmacy residency at the VA in Palo Alto and his doctorate of pharmacy at UCSF. Jennifer received her doctorate of pharmacy from the University of the Pacific Thomas J. Long School of Pharmacy in 2007. She joined Kaiser Permanente in 2008 as a drug education coordinator in the Central Valley area where she focused on pharmaceutical utilization efforts and was the lead pharmacy and was the pharmacy lead focused on decreasing overuse of opioids. Very interesting. During her tenure at Kaiser, Jennifer has served as a clinical operations manager in South Sacramento, interim regional clinical services manager, and currently as the regional manager overseeing drug use management in Northern California. In her current role, Jennifer leads a team focused on developing initiatives focused on driving high quality, cost-effective pharmaceutical care. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Dean. Thank you. Are you seeing my desktop? Yes, we can. All right. <clears throat> Jennifer just sent me the latest version, so let me go with it over there. Okay. Is there any anybody else? Um, or is anybody else trying to get Jennifer on board? Or are we still stuck with her out? Is she in the waiting room? 
I think we're still working on that behind the scenes, Dean. All right. Well, we'll, we'll go forward. Usually I give these presentations anyway. And so Jennifer and Jody, we're going to fill in for, or we're going to get some training for me. I'm trying to build some bench strength for this. And so I let them do this one. But it looks like I'll be doing it anyway. So, and then Jody had a family emergency, so she's not able to join us either. So, so a little bit of change, but uh, same content, and we can cover that for you today. So, thank you, Sarah, for the introduction, and and David for the invite. You're welcome. So, as we, as we all know, it's an unprecedented time of change in healthcare. There's a few drivers out there that are are happening. In, in the in the in the areas of pharmacy, and so we see that the national retail chains are are entering the primary care delivery business. We see mobile technology and telehealth services, especially with COVID. Um, specialty drugs that weren't available two or three years ago are curing diseases and saving lives. And then there's these really high cost, expensive gene and cell therapies that are out there that are coming into being more and more often. And so what we need to do is make sure we lay the foundation where we optimize the, the best use of our generic products and our biosimilars and use them effectively in a high quality manner to um, to help us manage these other cost areas as well, these other cost drivers. So in the future, we may want to talk, talk to you a little bit about specialty drugs or emerging drug cell, cell therapies and gene therapies. But we're gonna stick with generics and biosimilars today. So the first thing I wanted to point out is that medications are a good thing. They do work. They, they work to prevent heart attacks and strokes, treat serious illnesses, chronic diseases, such as cancer and other things. And even though we're going to be talking a little bit about big pharma and how sometimes they, they do some things that we don't like to see and hear about, but uh, for the most part, they still are producing medications that are usually useful, helpful and useful to us as a society. And if they're used appropriately and, and, and appropriate adherence, they lead to appropriate outcomes, which drive improvements in health and quality of life and decrease hospitalizations and urgent emergency visits. So what we wanna do is to kind of outline for you a few of the strategies that, that we recognize that they're using and a little bit about our response to those strategies. So the first thing is, is that big pharma with brand products, they, they want to extend the brand product exclusivity as long as they possibly can. They have um, patent laws, patent timeframes in which they have to uh, abide by, but they use these different tactics to uh, extend the productivity or the exclusivity of their brand products. So these what's called evergreening techniques, and we'll talk a little bit about that. They may add on additional indications at the last minute, pediatric or other, to get them another six months, six month extension. Or they might use pat, patent litigation to hold somebody up in court to uh, litigate on a, on a patent. And then they also use a couple techniques around generics where a, a brand manufacturer can actually produce the authorized generic version of the, the product. Lately, we've seen that a number of companies are putting out authorized generics earlier than they, than they need to. And I think some of that is in response to the pressure that they're feeling about the rising drug costs. And so their meager attempt to try to indicate that they're reducing drug costs are 
where they're putting these authorized generics out there for us to, to, to use. But I think their underlying methodology behind it is that they can lock in, they can be a sole source generic as an authorized generic without others getting into the market. They can reduce their reduce their brand, their price just slightly as a, as a single source generic out there in the marketplace. So they don't lose a ton of market share in terms of dollars. And then they, their hope is to lock up the generic market so that no other players join in and, and get into to get into the game. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the future as well. And then they certainly develop new drugs, new brand names within the same therapeutic class. We're going to give you an example of that. And they use a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising to help push their agenda along. So here's a little bit about the evergreening strategy. Do you, have, do you guys have a little box on my, do you have a box covering the cartoon or can you see the cartoon? Yes, we can see it. Okay, so I have a little box on mine, but it's just a part of the part of the go-to meeting. Okay, so what we see here is that there's drugs that the manufacturer has basically added a, a different molecular component to it, a salt form or a, Different version of the, of the same basic medication to try to extend the, the the life of the medication, the brand medication, so they can get brand prices for those drugs. Hmm. But if you look at at the uh, comic, basically, they make very small, small, insignificant changes that change the goose that lays the golden eggs to the moose that lays the golden eggs, <laughs> and don't really offer any real benefit to their patients, but just try to maintain the the, the cost. So here's a couple of good examples of those things that we've seen in the past. And we talked a little bit about this, about authorized generics. It's exactly, it's an approved brand generic product that's marketed and actually run through their same production lines that make it the exact same product with a different label on it. And they, the kind of the, the, the routine out there in the, in the brand company areas is that when you have one, one generic product out there in the marketplace, you usually reduce the, the drug cost by about 20 to 30, 40%. So you take a small hit on it, but when you start seeing other competitors in the marketplace, then the price really drops off. And it can get as low as a, a generic drug price can be, can be less than 90% of the, the brand price when it's all said and done with lots of competition in the marketplace. So we certainly work to try to help move, move, encourage many mar many manufacturers to get out there in the market to create competition. And this is what I talked about. They can release the early the early release of a generic product, which is a new strategy that I'm still trying to really understand why they're doing it, but they're doing it and trying to, I think, really grab market share earlier than later and show the world that they they care about drug price. But if they only have to reduce the price by 10%, then they still still make good money over that product. And then what happens in the generic market as well is that there's the first generic that is approved after the patent expires, then uh, they get 100, 180 day ex exclusivity basically to try to recoup the dollars that they put into the, to the uh, FDA approval process. And it usually brings us limited discounts, like I said, 20 to 40% off of, of the brand products. Whereas the when that six months is over, 
then additional gen generic manufacturers enter the market and larger discounts seem to come our way. So uh, what we see is that again, as as one one goes to two comp competitors, then we get close to probably 40, 50% off the brand price. As you grow in manufacturers in the generic market for competition, like I said, we can get we can see up to uh, over 90% discounts off of the brand product. So here's one a good example, recent example for you to look at. It's Truvada and Discovi for pre-exposure prophylaxis. So Truvada is the brand product that was used for pre-exposure prophylaxis in HIV patients for many, many, many years. And as soon as the uh, company realized that the product was going to be able was going to go generic, then they they, uh, they they somehow created this new product called Discovi, which also we've got got FDA approval for uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV. And um, so what this first statement and or uh, newsline says is that Gilead says generic Truvada will be available in 2020. And then right at thereafter, they FDA approves this Discovi drug for, for it. And then the question is, is will the newest pill, which is Discovi for HIV prevention, fuel progress or profits? That's really the question is, are they, are they just doing it for the money or are they doing it to actually improve care? And then what we see here is that now where we're at is that because Discovy is the new kid on the block that's FDA approved, and there's been a lot of counter detailing and marketing around that, then a lot of people have been moving to the uh, Discovy product. And what we do is we look at the, the evidence and say, is there any difference in the drugs? Should we just stay with this? Truvada and use the Discovi if there is some advantages only in those areas where there's an advantage. Otherwise, stick to the Truvada generic. And so that's what we do. So we have worked very, very hard with Kaiser Permanente to preserve, preserve the generic Truvada marketplace. And right now, we just went through the six, six month exclusivity period of time. And now we're getting into the marketplace where the competition is out there trying to really uh, get get a foothold in the in the market and so we have seen that the prices now have dropped to greater than 90 percent off of the brand product with the competition that's, that exists out there so for all those one and three prescriptions that are using Discovy, they're paying brand prices for it when they could possibly use Truvada generic prices at 90 percent off of WAC and so um, it's a big big deal for us this kind of talks about it that we Leverage our strengths. We we do understand the six month true uh, exclusivity, and so we we can't really do too much. Then we do get uh, some. Our contracting guys do get some discount off of that price in the first 180 days for the first player in the marketplace because those guys tend to want to really get a foothold in Kaiser Permanente. And so if we play play our cards right, then we can do this well. And so. Um, then additional manufacturers enter the generic market. In this case, it was in April, just this month, and the price just fell. The bottom fell out of the price, and uh, we got a big, big, uh, big savings on that. And so, we saw greater than 90% off the brand product during this time period, which is going to be probably hundreds of millions of dollars for our organization, just on this one generic generic product. Big pharma strategy around direct to consumer advertising. So this one here is just basically telling you that these are all the ads that you see on TVs, TV, 
And so the United States is one of the few countries that allows direct-to-consumer advertising where the companies can basically tell you what they want you to hear about the drugs and then put in very small print all the problems and all the cautions and all the things that you need to be aware of. But it stimulates in your mind that you should talk to your doctor about this medication. And so that's what that's what happens. That's what we see. So we find out that it, when we look at some studies related to the impact of direct-to-consumer advertising, one-third of the U.S. patients do ask their physician about an advertised drug. So it does work in, in uh, the, member, the mind of the patient. And then usually 80% of those patients that are asking about drugs are given some type of prescription. 44% of the time for the requested drug that they asked about, which was advertised, probably the brand drug, brand drug, brand drug at, a, at a much higher price for questionable benefits most of the time. Now, when it, when it gives, gives us a good benefit, we'll do it, we'll pay for the brand price, and we'll, we'll go with it and use it as, as much as we need to. Uh, but if there are other options around using generics, we will do that. Hey, Dean, can I, can I interrupt yeah. you with a quick question? It yep. sounds like uh, we were able to get Jennifer Cashman on. Jennifer, oh, are you there? Hi, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear and see you. Thank you. Victory. <laughs> Great, thanks. All right, very Dean, good. Do you want to hand off? Or... No, you, you, can, you can take it from here, Jennifer. All right, so I'm trying to see. Do you want to just keep driving the slides? Because I'd hate yep, to I'll try to something else with the, with the computer. <laughs> yep, I'll drive the slides. Great, okay. So we are in the big pharma strategy. Great. Um, so just sharing a, a little bit of information, as Dean was saying, you know, nearly a third of adults that ask their uh, their physicians about a prescription that they saw advertised. And so this has been going on for a really long time. And I think, you know, that last um, slide that showed those 10 pictures, the amazing thing is that, you know, those top 10 brands alone felt spent $183 million on national TV ads just in the month of April in 2020. So the amount of, of money being invested in direct-to-consumer advertising is really amazing and, you know, very unique to um, our healthcare system in the United States. I think when we see other things in Europe and other countries, they're not, they don't have the same type of direct-to-consumer advertising. Okay, so, um, you know, direct-to-consumer advertising is really a win-win for drug companies because it contributes to increased spending on their actual product, but also any drugs used to treat that same condition. Next slide, Dean. Okay, so this kind of brings us to what do we do to really help combat some of these um, some of these strategies and really optimize the use of our integrated system. Uh, you know, the biggest piece is we really take advantage of our um, of our integrated services with medical and pharmaceutical services, and it really puts us in a unique and enviable position at Kaiser Permanente. So we have excellent drug purchasing contracts that we work really closely with our contracting department on, along with our medical group and our clinical pharmacy experts. Um, so we have a, a formulary system and also drug education programs. We also have the ability to track and report prescription utilization, which allows us to monitor the effectiveness of our prescribing patterns and also be able to give feedback and find if there are any outliers. Um, our ability to perform outcomes research also ensures that we're actually getting those expected outcomes and making sure that we're with the most high quality uh, manufacturers. So our Kaiser Permanente physicians receive drug information from our Kaiser Permanente pharmacy program, um, not really our drug company representatives. So we do have 
um, you know, strict rules around uh, representatives and, um, and marketing. So our physicians work closely with pharmacists on drug management for their patients, um, including con converting to the generics or biosimilars if they're available, um, reviewing opioid prescribing, reviewing data on quality measures like antibiotic use, um, identifying high-risk meds for our elderly patients and potentially de-prescribing them, um, also improving outcomes through medication adherence. So adherence is another piece that we're really involved in. And we really utilize clinical practice guidelines that are worked on with our, uh, with our physician experts and our drug use management department to drive conversions for cost savings and also improvement in quality. Next slide. Okay, so this brings me to talk a little bit about something near and dear to my heart, the drug use management team. So our drug use management team is really a comprehensive program spearheaded by pharmacy operations, but also really closely collaborative with our physician groups. So we influence cost-effective management and utilization of pharmaceuticals through initiatives. So these reduce overall prescribing variation, um, optimize clinical outcomes, while providing the most appropriate and cost-effective care. So sometimes these initiatives are focused if we are maybe get a new contract, it may be focused on strictly the cost-effective standpoint, and other times it's really focused on quality, as I mentioned before, opioid prescribing, overutilization of antibiotics. Really, we, we do a lot of these that align with our external metrics like fetus metrics um, or pharmacy quality alliance metrics, um, CMS metrics, those types of, types of things. So our initiatives really focus on pharmaceuticals that are high use, high cost, or even high risk. Next slide. So one of the things that we're really proud at at Kaiser Permanente is our, our uh, leader, being a leader in generic drug utilization. And so this doesn't just talk about generic drugs, though. This is really our Kaiser Permanente approach to drug selection overall. We work with our contracting department. So sometimes the contracting department may come to us and maybe a manufacturer came to them. Um, with, you know, a new opportunity. Other times it may be our uh, clinical or drug use management teams that go to contracting and say, hey, can we get any, um, you know, any concessions on these particular drugs? We're seeing an inc a potential increase in use because of some new national guidelines or anything like that. Um, so really we go through contracting and then have an evidence-based review of safety and efficacy beyond what the FDA approval does. So we have our own internal teams that really look at it to make sure that we are, are that we are contracting with those high quality uh, manufacturers. In some cases too, we'll get specialist approval from the physicians um, if it is you know a more um, specialized medication that we really want them to look at. And then we move on to education of our physicians and pharmacists, and we use our electronic medical record to um, to build in different support mechanisms, pop up. Um, alternative alerts that can prompt them to prescribe something else that's preferred. Then we go through the whole implementation plan, and once that's done and we're shifting to a new drug or a new generic, we monitor our internal flipbacks and basically the overall um, approach and the use and feedback that we're getting on the new drugs. So one of the great things is, you know, Kaiser Permanente is really a leader in generic drug utilization, um, and we make we use about 91% of our total drugs as generic, and that's really higher than the U.S. average of around 89%. And while that doesn't sound like a huge percentage difference, each 0.1%, so each tenth of a percent increase in generic utilization can actually achieve about $28 million in savings for our organization. So it's a huge impact. Um, and we're really able to achieve this level of generic and, and biosimilar adoption because of our integration and our evidence-based formulary. 
Um, I, as, as I mentioned before, we have a really strong collaboration between our physicians and our pharmacists um, in disease management, medication adherence, and minimizing waste. And because we have this strong collaboration, it allows us to move the market share very effectively. Uh, another way that we're really great in adopting generic utilization is if it's a uh, if it's a high cost generic, or you know we're really going to get a significant discount, we will treat it what we call a day one generic, which means the day that we have that inventory, we want uh, you know as much as possible dispensed as that generic. So we will spend time to educate our frontline physicians and our pharmacists and monitor and share feedback on how their performance is going on a day to day basis. Um, so our generics are definitely as good as the brand. We stand behind that, and that's when we start looking at outcomes. So that transitions well to our next slide, where we talk about our phase quality metrics. So phase at, at Kaiser Permanente stands for preventing heart, heart attacks and strokes every day, and we like to uh, throw in there utilizing generic drugs. So this is just some data showing how really Kaiser outpaces the nation in reducing deaths from heart disease and stroke. Um, from 2000 to 2015. And really we have some algorithms and some practice recommendations that are built really utilizing our most cost-effective therapy and mainly generic drugs. Next slide. So we've already talked a little bit about this, but just to reiterate how we really limit the impact of rising, rising pharmacy costs. Our standardized formulary really improves generic drug utilization. Our strong purchasing power helps us negotiate cost savings with suppliers. And our long-term contracts also helps maintain our cost and stability. Um, and so this is not only true with our you know, run-of-the-mill uh, blood pressure and diabetes medications, but also when it comes to our biosimilars and specialty drugs. Next slide. So we'll talk a little bit about biologic products now. So um, some of the big pharma strategies are consistent with the biologic products as they are with generics. As Dean mentioned before, that patent litigation, the patent thicket, paying for delay. Um, so this has come about um, in, in things like Humira, where they've been able to pay off the generic manufacturers. So they are still able to capitalize on what they're able to bring in and, and continue to pay them off for another few years. Um, and you know, those generic manufacturers, those biosimilar manufacturers won't really have much of a loss if, of, um, of money because they're getting paid to delay for launching. Um, also, as Dean mentioned earlier, additional indications, they could get a pediatric indication and, and lead to a six month extension. Um, and then alternate strategies are really kind of some confusion. So the manufacturers may try to confuse and plant the seed that really these biologics aren't as good as the reference product. They, they talk about you know, the language around interchangeability. Because these products are not exactly the same, um, they try to infer that they haven't been studied so they can't directly be switched, which is where we really come in with the fact that we're able to uh, transition our members because we get, we get patient-specific physician authorizations, as we do with all of our initiatives. So we're able to really uh, partner with the physicians to only, uh, to only change those patients that are most appropriate. Next slide. So this slide, uh, I like this, nice to see the picture of it, to really think about what the difference between biologic drugs or biosimilars and generic drugs. So biosimilars are less expensive versions of the brand specialty meds. Um, they're biological products that are similar in safety, purity, and potency to the drugs that they mimic. Um, but you can see they're much more complex. 
So the, the picture on the right there shows Lipitor, which everybody's aware of, um, a cholesterol medication. And then the one on the left there, the biologic, is Herceptin, which is used to treat breast cancer. So you can see how making a, a product that is supposed to mimic that is much more complex than making a product that would mimic Lipitor. Um, and currently, uh, biosimilars target a wide range of diseases from cancers to autoimmune disorders. Um, in before Kaiser Permanente implements the clinical use of an FDA-approved biosimilar drug, our physicians and our pharmacy experts, our clinical experts, conduct their own safety and efficacy evaluations, um, inspecting manufacturing facilities, and analyzing the biosimilar uh, drug pipeline. So um, there's a lot that goes into getting FDA approval of a biosimilar. It's very, uh, it's very detailed. They have to go through detailed analytical, structural, and functional characterization, animal studies sometimes, and then moving on to clinical pharmacology studies and maybe even other comparative clinical studies for outcomes. Next slide. So the way that we are specifically successful at Kaiser Permanente in influencing adoption of biosimilars, it really ties to education of our providers around the correct use. So as I mentioned before, manufacturers may come out and try to give a little bit of confusion around what they should be used for, the interchangeability, um, and really that's where our, our frontline drug education coordinators are able to step in and provide that counter detailing um, about when you can substitute and give that specific information for the patient. Um, and we mentioned the, the patent ticket before, so sometimes these, these pharmaceutical manufacturers will place multiple patents to protect the product and litigate on those. So for something like, um, like Humira, they actually filed 247 patent applications for that drug um, and, and won a number of them so that they could really protect that patent for up to 39 years. And not only that, but the, price, the drug's price has continued to increase um, and it's already been up almost 150% since 2012. So, um, you know, we will be able to eventually see some biosimilars for uh, Humira. We're expecting that in 2023. So that, that litigation has just continued to, to be ongoing. Next slide. Um, so while others have been slow to transition to biosimilars, Kaiser Permanente really has embraced them. Within our system, biosimilar adoption is ahead of the industry curve. And we're currently using biosimilars about 80 to 95% of the time instead of the reference product once it's available. Um, the rest of the country is around 30%. So this is huge. Um, so using biosimilars instead of the reference biologic resulted in a cost savings of more than $230 million um, since adoption to the end of 2019. Um, so, and there are definitely more savings to come. A recent study by the RAND Corporation estimates that greater utilization of the biosimilars could save $54 billion on biologic drugs from 2017 to 2026. So we really try to continue to give the same message. The benefits of biosimilars, they offer equally safe and effective alternatives at a lower cost, increase patient access so that they don't always have the cost as a barrier, and allow health systems to direct resources to other medicine or healthcare needs. Next slide. So just wanted to share with you, you can go to the next slide, thank you. Share with you our, uh, our successful use of the biosimilars. So this is three biosimilars that, that were launched in the last few years. Um, and really we've used these in both treatment naive and treatment experienced patients. 
Um, and we've, we've asked our patients how they feel about the use of them too, and most have been satisfied or very satisfied with the switch to the biosimilar. We continue to monitor safety and outcomes, and we've had a successful adoption of seven different biosimilars. Our clinical leads on the pharmacy and the physician side have also been asked to present out at different biosimilar conferences, um, and really, it's, there's interest around the world in how we're able to um, how we're able to adopt these biosimilars so well. Next slide. Okay, so um, really, you know, this what we like to say is pharmacy works best within a connected system. We have our pharmacists that are part of the same organization and coordinate our members' uh, drug treatment plans and health alongside our physicians. So we really have a, a lot of pharmacists that are involved day to day in helping to support the health of our patients and, the, and their care. Um, additionally, we have our for affordability with our drug contracts and our initiatives and our, and our drug pricing. And then, of course, quality. So we always say we lead with quality and affordability follows. Um, and this is really uh, our message close with our physician. And then, of course, access. Um, you know, it's one of the great things about our integrated system is we're able to provide the care that the patients need very quickly. So our in integrated pharmacy really has the unique ability to control the drug costs and pass savings along our membership, all while maintaining safety, efficacy, and outcomes that define our organization. And I think that is the last slide. So Holy cow. Up for any questions. <laughs> Natalie, do we, do we have any questions that have come in? No, actually we do not. Let me ask a, let me ask a couple of uh, questions myself. Um, you're, so you're having a lot of success with the use of biosimilars, which, which uh, helped me, you know, I'm not real, I'm not real uh, familiar with all of the terminology, but you would compare a biosimilar to a generic on the chemical side, would that be a, a, a fair comparison? We talk about generic. Sort of, yes. Opposed to brand name, a biosimilar yeah, so, as opposed to a biological. Right. Okay. So, so the bio, the biosimilar is like a generic for a biologic drug. Okay. Okay. That's what I was, I, I want to make sure I understood that. And do, do you, do, does Kaiser have on their website somewhere a place where a consumer can go to, to look at these choices and, and, you know, get some comparative information so they can make some intelligent decisions themselves? Oh, good question. I have to, I have to uh, phone a friend on that one. Dean, do we have any patient-specific uh, on kp.org or anything for the biologics that you know of? Oh, we can't hear you, Dean. Let me, uh, let me, un let me unmute or see if I can unmute Dean. Nope, it's, according to this, it's self-muted. Sorry. Hello, is that better? Yeah. Yep. There we go. All right, great. So, yeah, we, I don't think we have anything specifically on the, the complexity of biosimilars online. But people can certainly look at the formulary online and, and understand which products are equivalent or biosimilars in nature based on naming convention and others. Okay. And there is a lot of uh, patient-friendly information, even on the FDA website and things like that, where they can, you know, look up the difference. It is a very complex, I think, it's very complex material. Um, and so we always try to equip the physicians with those talking points too. If we do launch a new uh, a new uh, biologic, then we would give the physicians that and also the frontline pharmacists. 
On the oncology side or infusion side, we also have pharmacists that are very involved in the care with those patients. Because of course, they're the ones preparing the drugs that are being infused, and, and most of these are all you know, infusion drugs. So uh, they, they can have the one-on-one -on -one conversations with the patients as well. And then you, you also mentioned something earlier that it, it kind of went past me real quick, but let me go back. So uh, in, in, the, in, in the Kaiser Permanente system, you don't allow um, pharmaceutical reps to call on the individual doctors. Is that correct? We do. There's just limitations. So we have the way that drugs are, are categorized is one piece that would depend on. So if it's a non-formulary drug, it's considered non-decalable. So that means that the, the, the um, manufacturers could only come and speak to uh, the physicians if the physicians have a question and they're asking them. And we have our, our frontline drug education coordinators that are really the ones responsible for providing that local education. And so the physician would go to the, go to the drug education coordinator um, and speak to them about it. And then the, you know, the drug education coordinator would, would organize that. And it doesn't mean that we don't meet with them. We definitely do. And we, we ask for their data and, you know, we, we get the information that they have to share. Um, I think it's just, you know, we, we really have, we limit what's able to be shared um, with our physicians. Do, do and a lot you know, of times we'll provide the educational. Do, do you know if your competition is doing that? I mean, I know, you know, obviously we know there are other, there are other uh, medical group, you know, systems out there here in Northern California, you know, uh, Kaiser, or Kaiser, um, uh, Sutter Health. Uh, do do mm -hmm. they, to your knowledge, do they do certain things the same way or do they have their methodology similar to yours? That's a good question. I don't know. Dean, do you know what? Sutter or Dignity or anybody else says? I don't know the answer to that either. I, I would guess they probably don't because they, they have to really organize their doctors, which are, you know, disintegrated groups of people, whereas we have the group that's all together as one. Yeah. And it was hard enough to do within our own system internally to make, make that change over time. Yeah. I think, I, I, think it's, I think it's one of our advantages. Yeah, I would I would agree. I, I know that in Utah, Intermountain Healthcare, who is the big the big system out in, in the state of Utah, you know, they have a very um, uh, interesting they have a they have an entire you know pharmaceutical division that does much what you guys are doing here. And uh, I have a friend of mine that uh, has worked there for many years and, and I asked him, where did you guys uh, develop uh, this idea? And and off the record he said Oh, we copied what Kaiser's doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, oftentimes, too, just speaking, at, you know, as a frontline drug education coordinator, uh, when we would orient new physicians that would come in, so many times they would say, oh, we're so thankful because we don't have to worry about policing or worrying about, oh, you know, taking up my time. And I like, we, we really appreciate what you guys do. Yeah, good. Leaves more time for them to spend doing patient care, which is what they're, you know, passionate about. Well, we, we certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, I think this has been great information. We have recorded this session. And um, what I would say is if you have an opportunity to send me the, the slide deck that you um, shared with us, I'd, I'd uh, love to have a copy of it. Uh, it's been sure. good information and, and uh, we appreciate all of your time and, and effort in, in this presentation. That was wonderful. Thanks for your patience with the technical difficulties. Okay. Well, we got we got through that. It all works yeah. out. We're all set now.
<laughs> it wouldn't be a pandemic without, you know, virtual webinars and tech issues. It's, <laughs> it's the name of the game these days. So. Yeah. Well, we're a lot more efficient with our time today than we were two years ago. I'll tell you that. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's you know, it gets better. It's getting better. Well, thank you, everyone. for Thank you for letting us tell our story. We appreciate it. All right. Thank, thank, you. thank you all very much. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thanks. Bye-bye.